You're listening to a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. Hello and welcome to the Elsner's Day production of Galactic Netcast. I'm Gregor Sprague and joining me is Corey Scott. Um, just a forewarning, we will swear on the show, we will spoil things, so there is the warnings, and also if you want to find out more about us, about you know show notes, subscription links, all that stuff, you can go to elsners.com or gncast.com for everything that our network has to offer you. Corey, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing, Gregor? I'm doing pretty good. It sounds like, I think I just said this stuff like, not like 10 minutes ago, but whatever, let's do it again. It's Groundhog's Day, folks. Not really, but more in the movie sense. <laughs> so, so, so nice. We tried it twice. Yes. So far. Um, yeah, so far. But yeah, so I'm doing pretty good. Yesterday was rough at work. Um, long story short, um, I don't know what it was. If it was because Target is doing the big promotion with $300 for iPhone uh, for Target gift cards. Um, but I had seen in the group me for my district that Verizon was having problems activating, um, phones at the end, you know, AT&T, which I was dealing with was having problems. And, but the thing that ticked me off is, um, and I don't know if you've ever done a phone upgrade through a, through target to get a gift card or whatever, but you don't get the gift card until the end. Um, you go through, you sign all the stuff to make for being an authorized user, and all that, or, you know, if you're adding a line or upgrading, whatever, and all that stuff, then you do the payment of the taxes for the full retail of the phone. And if you put any money down, you do that and then go through. He, well, the, the gentleman did that. And so, and then they tried, at t tried to turn on saying he needed to pay more. And I'm like, um, no, fuck no. <laughs> um, he already put down his payment. It's because you guys looked up the account again and pinged his credit up for a third fucking time. Because he already had to stop and go get more money once, and I had to redo all the information. And so, yeah, no, <laughs> like I, get this I've, I've, I have bought a house. I have bought or leased uh, multiple cars. It, getting a cell phone seems to be at almost the same kind of level mm-hmm. as either of those things, which is just insanity to me. Um, we, we are in a, a, an era of, of smartphones, so I can't understand why the process is so fucking stupid, but it, it doesn't matter which store I've been to, uh, who's helped me and, and certainly great people have, have, have given me excellent service except for all the fucking process to do it. So I'm just super grateful these days that my phone comes from my job. Yeah, and I don't have to deal with any of that shit. And and a lot of it, I think, like, I think part of it is because, like, with me working with working at Target, it's through another system. So it's no, my but I've, system. I've gone into yeah. the Verizon stores and had to deal with this. I've gone in uh, recently. Yeah. Aaron upgraded her phone at Sprint, and it was over an hour, almost I think two hours of getting everything yeah. done and. I'm like, dude, we know what phone we want. It, 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 yeah. But it's it's such a weird system. And, and some of it is still that a lot of these stores have slow or begrudgingly awful internet. Yep. Uh, the systems that they're on are terrible. 
the interaction between them and the main offices and everything else that has to go through it, the amount of paperwork that you still have to physically sign. It just, it's ridiculous. It is so strange for the fact that I know phones are actually expensive. Um, and so they, it is a contract that you're signing uh, to yep. carry this thousand dollar device around with you. And I'm sure that there's a lot of government regulations and stuff that come in with it. But I see things like buy your phone directly from Google and and then just take it and pop your SIM in or whatever. And that seems so much more compelling to me than, oh, yeah. than dealing with this other stuff. But I, I get it. And and I, I think that that's a that's that's not just those. I, I see it with anything with delivery or, or overtime I have. Um and when I worked in retail, I see it in a lot of stuff. And I just, as a person who works IT and I go around and I see systems that are, to me, functionally broken. And I think, how do we fix that? How do we make that better? It just surprises me how little emphasis there's been on that, especially when it would increase sales. It would increase customer satisfaction. The two biggest oh, yeah. things that a, that a business wants, uh, but they, they're just like, well, but... What are you going to do? Go pay works. as you go with Boost Mobile or something? Nah, you're stuck with us. No, and because and, on the retail side of things, I mean, I went from last year, I worked at Dollar General. I'm so glad I got the fuck out of that place. Sorry, but I had to say one because of, you know, some of the people, but that's besides the point. The main one was because of the computers. Like, look at like they're still running like I think it was like MS DOS or something on there. Like Oh yeah. 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 When it, I when I started at an electronics retailer, the electronics retailer uh years ago, it was like, okay, now you're gonna do all this stuff in green screen. And I'm like, there's a there's a green screen. You guys are still working with what is monochrome technology. So <laughs> that was the background. And then even when we went over to Windows systems, it was still a back and forth. But you the, the funny thing is, and I see this a lot in IT, is that people are so used to a system working the way that it does, and they're really good at it, that they yeah. don't want to transfer to the new system that may in many ways be better. It's like, but I can find my way around here. I can do this, so don't retrain me on this other thing. And so it, it causes the technology to stagnate because of people being resistant to change. On the other hand, there's a lot of things that when they do upgrade to new systems, they're essentially broken from the get-go. Yeah. And it's like, well, fuck, if I could get back to my green screen, I would be able to make all this shit work. I can but, sing on that son of a bitch. And this is the problem I had with working at both Dollar General and at Target for the phones. Because, you know, with the exception of this week, I'm usually there as electronics aid. Um, you know, that's not technically my job, but that's, you know, the other part. And it's like, so, you know, I, so I can help them so they can continue to do, you know, zoning or whatever needs to be done over there. So I'm ringing up a lot of stuff that I don't get money for. And so what that ends up that has been a big complaint is the chip cards, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> and the you know, just the fact that, you know, for Dollar General, they upgraded the, at, at the store I was at, they upgraded the, the credit card machine part, but not the computers themselves. And I'm like, and people complain, I'm like, 
I'm sorry. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm telling them why this is why this has to be the way it is because chip and pin is so much more secure than the magnetic stripe on the card. And actually, why I'm glad now that Target doesn't with their red cards, they don't do the stripe. It's just the chip and stuff on there. And I'm like, you want to see a great example of how what chip and pin is supposed to do? Be like, go down to Walgreens down the road here. You know, that like I went there with my pastor and he put he literally and I'm like, wait, that's what how that's supposed to be? Why don't all machines have this? They've also got brand new machines, like they're running Windows 7 at least, not Windows XP professional or whatever targets running right now. <laughs> Well, uh, so people who didn't realize that Else Nerds is a retail podcast, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we're going to fall into the gap in just a minute, and then we will uh, take you to Brookstone, and you can kiss it and see if you get lucky, like it's St. Patrick's Day. Corey, let's be honest. Neither of us shop at the Gap. No, I, I, don't, I don't know that I fit anything in the Gap, and I exactly. certainly I don't enjoy khakis. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I know they're wag your noodle pants, but my noodle likes something a little bit more denim-y. Uh, yes. I like Levi's, which are America's napkin. So <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just, let's just move along to some else news. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And the first bit of news comes to us from bleedingcool.com. And this is uh, Roddenberry Entertainment um, unveiled a new geek inspired anime series at WonderCon. Um, this is Rod Roddenberry, the son of Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry. Um, and he's been keeping himself busy, you know, over the past few years. And, you know, he's executive producing the next Star Trek uh, TV show, Star Trek Discovery, which will get per- released sometime in the future. Do we um, technically call these things TV shows anymore, by the way, when they're not? made specifically to be watched on a television i mean yes obviously you can roku that shit you can apple tv it but it's not coming through broadcast television anymore i i wonder if it's going to be like netcasts uh versus podcasts if somewhere 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 down the line is going to say well do we call it that anymore or is it something else like someone's going to try to distinguish it and come up with their own genre term and 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 make the change and and one i wonder if it'll stick it it's like we still say taping things when we're using a dvr uh yeah it's it's like the the icons that were on the the iphones a few years ago that were still like and this phone looks like an old-fashioned phone with a little fucking cord attached to it and shit and and here's your tape recorder uh, and all these things that don't really exist and that kids today don't even understand what the references are to I just I think about that sometimes. I also think about the fact that this show, uh, as we're talking about it, it, from Rod Roddenberry, son of Gene Roddenberry, is called Rod and Barry, which sounds great if you're like, oh, I've got this name and I can make it work for these two characters. But I'll tell you what, man, uh, I hear Rod and Barry and I think of something completely different. A little bit of bait and tackle. Uh, I, well, I mean, some tackle, uh, just just the one. So it, it's it's kind of like Matt from Podcast of Terror. Um, <laughs> but it's it's it, it's 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 it, all right. So, but to get back to the story, uh, yeah. this is a series that began as a webcomic, uh, ran from 2008 to 2013. Uh, it features two purple aliens named Rod and Barry. 
Uh, they've been sent to observe Earth and its culture and report back to their home world prior to Earth's annihilation. Uh, they discover television, become big television watchers. I have no way of relating to that at all. Uh, oh, just giant fanboys that watch series like Game of Thrones, Battlestar Galactica, Lost. If it ends up with them getting a podcast, we should just fucking shift and let them take over. Uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah. That's that's where we just you just see us go. Well, this is it. This is the end. And then ten years later, we'll come on and do a reunion thing. I for one welcome our new purple alien overlords. Yeah. So the the first thing that came to my mind when this with when looking through this article was this is like a an updated beavis and butthead like like i mean because if you look at the very basic premise or what i you know when i hear beavis and butthead besides the you know <coughs> you know great cornholio and all that stuff um it was always the the thing that i liked the most was them doing a like talking over the music videos like they're watching mtv and you know they're giving their you know like riff tracks on it the stuff that made it almost impossible to put beavis and butthead on vhs and dvd later on was because of all that video stuff um but yeah that's absolutely it it's 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 two characters that are sitting there doing critiques of television while sitting on a couch. So that is very Beavis and Butthead-esque. And so here's here's the uh, some of the cool things. So the um the, so it is the comic that's coming over, but it will star the voice actor uh, Greg Sipes who does um on if it's the same one I'm thinking of, he does Beast Boy in uh, Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. Um he's done um, he did uh, Iron Fist on Ultimate Spider-Man, um, and he'll also be serving as a producer on the project. Um, and oh, hey, yeah, and it it mentions it in there. And the additional cast will include Aaron Doerr, Brittany or Aaron Doe, Brittany Ferlin, Ben Storm, and Alexi Wasser, or Alexi Wasser, uh, Rod Roddenberry himself, um, or Rod Roddenberry, Trevor Roth, and Scott Paxcoff will be acting as executive producers. Um, yeah, I'm. This is exciting for me because, like, like you, you've already you said all the different things, but this is stuff that I think can be really fun, really cool to watch. So yeah, I, and also for people who might be going to WonderCon uh, at the end of the month, there this will be a panel presenting the the shorts uh, hosted by Claire Kramer, uh, famous for being in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer among other things, uh, and and you will be able to get to meet some of the people that are involved with the show and maybe see a preview of it. Yeah. So our next story is, um, and I realize I'm wearing, I'm on the wrong team in this with my wardrobe today, but uh, Chris Evans is open playing Captain America after Avengers 4. Um. So yeah, last week uh, he told Esquire that he's probably done playing the character after he had fulfilled his contract. Um, you know, and there's a quote, you know, settling in on the couch, he groans. Evan explains that he's hurting all over because he just started his workout routine the day before to get in shape for the next two Captain America, America films. The movies will be shot back to back beginning in April. 
after that no more red red white and blue costume for the 35 year old um he will have fulfilled his contract um and then there later goes on to be you know he's speaking with christina radish um you know at for on a press day for his new film gifted and he sounded you know quite a bit different where she asks are you going to be done are you really going to be done playing captain america after the next two avengers movies um and he says it's not really up to me my contract is up i'm not going to sit here and, and say no more i think hugh jackman has made 47 wolverine movies um and they somehow keep getting better it's a character i love it's a factory that really knows what they're doing the system is sound over there. Um, they make great movies, and if they're if they're kicking out quality, I'd have or if they weren't kicking out quality, I'd have a different opinion. But everything Marvel does seem to be seems to be cinema gold. And like I said, I love the character. The only reason it would end is the only reason it would end is because my contract is up after Avengers four. My contract is done. Talk to Marvel if we engage further. I'd be open to it. I love the character. It's almost like high school. You certainly always look at look to senior year. And then all of a sudden senior year happens and you're like, I don't know if I'm really going to go. Um, it's tough thinking about not playing the guy. So yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like I remember Chris Evans said something though. early in, in the films, like maybe it was after the first Avengers where he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm only going to play this so long and, and I'm looking to get into directing and stuff. But then about the time that winter soldier happened, I think he saw that they weren't always going to be just straight up superhero movies and that there was some more depth to them, some more uh, story opportunities. And he felt a little bit more attracted to the role at that point. Now, Chris has been acting a long time and has done a a huge variety of different things. He's got a lot of comedy chops. People realize that now when they see him playing Cap, who's very stoic, but he's done really funny stuff uh i i would put him at a level of ryan reynolds yeah. of of how much comedy he can he's just naturally funny um and it seems like yeah there's obviously there's the pay factor to to think about of like well marvel's going to keep making billion dollar films and i i like my big fucking movie checks but that's not always necessary to to somebody who who's either considered some themselves an artist or realistically the amount of stress it puts in your body to try to stay in this keen cut shape for these films. Now he's lucky that he's younger than some of the other actors in these roles. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. Looks amazing. He's older than I am. You know, it's, 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 it's incredible that he's, he's held together in the way that he is, which is like, I've never looked like that. Uh, Hugh Jackman, same thing is, is, probably around my age or so and is cut as shit but that does take a toll even if it's like i only do it when i'm getting ready for the role again it's like that's some hard shit to put yourself through and they're they're strenuous physically active films so i could see saying it's tough for me to always come back to this but i could also see why it would be hard for him to leave because they're good movies and they're successful movies mm-hmm. and a lot of actors dream of hitting this level of success. And I will also say this, he doesn't, there is a future. If you go with the, the Marvel Canon, there is a future with him not having to be buff macho Captain America. 
there have been like the the article points out um you know Bucky uh Sebastian Stan's character Bucky Barnes and Anthony Mackie's character Sam Wilson have both co- went on to become Captain America themselves um you know uh, Sam Wilson's is currently the Captain America although it looks like that might be going away um and also on a side note uh Hugh Jackman is 48 Robert Downey Jr is 51 um and but so i mean there are roles that he could be playing as you know you know going on down the road as a, a director of shield as you know a head a commander in shield or something like that um which know, is already we, a part that samuel jackson is is in these films yeah. and samuel jackson has let slip like there may be stuff going on with the nick fury character coming back and possibly having something to do with the red skull although there it's it's something that he said casually that may or may not actually have any bearing and it's just he was talking casually about like well there's there's still stuff out there for nick to be fighting and and figuring out so that don't take that at a hundred percent um the thing about it is that as much as i love uh Anthony Mackie, and as much as I've enjoyed Sebastian Stan in in the films, Cap in the movies is my guy. He he has become yeah. to me what Christopher Reeve was to me growing up. As is like I would see Christopher Reeve, and that's Superman to me. And and certainly when I saw films where Christopher Reeve was not playing Superman, it was a little confusing at first. Uh, like <laughs> when he was in a love story going through time. Or when he was gay and kissing Michael Caine in Death Trap. I'm like, whoa, that's what? Uh, all right, you know, cool. But it was, he was still like, when I saw him as Superman, I totally bought in to Superman in that moment. And that made me a Superman fan. And I don't think in a way that the comics ever could have. Uh, and, yeah. and same thing with Chris Evans's cap is like, I saw Chris Evans's cap. Now, it's not just him, it's the writing of the films, it's the direction of the films. It's it's all the whole cast around him, um, but I completely bought into it, and I felt like this is the guy that I want to watch do this forever. Um, and and in both cases of of Winter Soldier and Falcon, I like those actors as those characters. I'm not a big fan of like I get the legacy thing, and I, I love the legacy thing in comics because comics have so much more story to fill over years and years and decades and stuff, I don't necessarily need to see that happen in the movies. Uh, yeah. I would like to see Anthony Mackie just continue making Falcon badass in the movies. I would like to see uh, Sebastian Stan continue to make Bucky cool as shit in the films and, and doing stuff in, say, Black Panther or whatever we might see him in next. So I'm not, I'm not in any hurry to see Chris get replaced or Steve get replaced as Cap. Um... I just I just want to keep seeing these movies happen because they've been mm-hmm. so great. And yeah. and the cat films have certainly been my favorites of the Marvel films. But they can't last forever. And and we're going to talk about some of that in a little bit when we get to uh elsewhere, but Yeah. Right now I can see the compulsion of should I stay or should I go? Well, there is contract negotiations to take in mind and that's probably what he's really saying yeah our next story is a lot of speculation 
Um, and that is that there's the news that um, apparently Aaron Sorkin um, is in talks with both Marvel and DC for the film, like for, you know, some property on either side. Um, for those of you guys who don't know who Aaron Sorkin is, first off, shame on you. He has done for longtime fans. You might remember uh, Casey Drumbeck um, from way back in the Glenn Rubenstein days, who is a big Aaron Sorkin fan. Um, you know, watched, you know, uh, was uh, sports radio. Um, sports night. Sports night. Um, uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Um, the newsroom, which was what we were talking about at the time in the podcast. The West um, Wing. He, yeah, uh, the West Wing. He's gone on to do, um, um, you know, write movies like, um, oh gosh, what were they? Social Network, the Steve Jobs movie, um, the, uh, where is it? Uh, Moneyball, The Great American President, A Few Good Men, Charlie Wilson's War. Yeah, I mean, you probably if you if you follow films, if certainly if you follow the writers of films, uh, you would probably recognize Sorkin. Yeah, and, he, and he's famous for sorry, he's famous for the walk and talk style that you see yeah, in, in a lot of the stuff he does. And that's that's something that that has to come up now. I would imagine that certainly because Sorkin is a big name in in Hollywood, uh, both for television and for films. Uh, but he he is making a, a transition over to movies more. It, it it makes sense that DC and Marvel are talking to him like they'd be talking to any number of directors uh, from different places and different things. Anybody that they can get a hold of that brings a new voice and talent to their universes. I mean, DC Universe, I'm not sure as much. But, but certainly Marvel is like, how do we keep things fresh? How do we keep things moving along? Uh, how do we keep Iron Fist white? Oh, no, I'm kidding. Um, but there's <laughs> there's a lot of different things that they're approaching. Because like we were saying, Captain America's had three different movies. All three movies feel different from each other. Now, the third movie feels like an Avengers movie. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because that's sort of prep for the next two Avengers movies that those directors are doing. The question becomes, really, what would Aaron Sorkin do? If you're Marvel what is the character or project that you would throw his way? What What do you think his voice would be good for? Oh, gosh. See, that's an interesting one because I would see him, and I, I will point out right now, um, you know, this this all came from on uh, comicbook.com. They, uh, they talked about, you know, they caught up with him on, during CinemaCon, and he, it's, and he had said he's being pitched by each, and he's flattered but he also has never really read a comic book which is not um, necessarily something that should prohibit you um, no yeah but you should read you should read the source material of the character that you wind up working on not all yeah. of it yeah but you know get ideas so i mean i'm going to split this up into into essentially to four categories movies and tvs for both dc and marvel on both sides um, with some ideas because I'm going to agree with B for the TV side for Marvel Shield, that like something with something with the Agents of Shield. You know, getting him in there. You know, writing some of the shows, 
Um, well, okay, as a movie, whatever. I mean, I could see him, you know, re really revitalizing. So not Agents of Shield, but something with Nick Fury and Shield classic. I could uh, see that. I could see that. Um, I could also see him doing, um, like if they wanted to do an event like Original Sin, um, you know, with where that was more of a talking, um, event. Oh, you know, so that, anything Bendis would make sense because that's all people do is is talk. Yeah. in Bendis comics. <laughs> yeah until the end which is it's like oh and then we're gonna fight but now we're not gonna actually finish this shit uh it, it, <laughs> bendis writes what is uh th three seasons of dragon ball z in about five years of comics yeah give or take on either one yeah but so i mean like b is saying a, a movie not tv I'm saying, you know, you could do, yes, you could do a, you know, a Nick Fury movie with him, but I'm, th I'm saying you could also, you know, do, have him come in and write a story arc for the TV show as well. And it would probably boost the ratings a bunch with how he does, with how his writing goes. Um, I would have to say personally on the movie side, um, yeah, I th I think I'm gonna go on a limb here, and I'm, I think I could see him doing some good stuff with like with a character like Moon Knight. You know, getting like a, getting a getting a, a little bit more obscure character, and you know, having him being able to do it, you know, bring out something that hasn't been brought out before, and you know, next thing you know, everyone's like, oh, I love this character from here, like, like everyone's doing with Groot and Rocket Raccoon right now. Speaking of which, um, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see him do a Groot meets Black Bolt from the Inhumans uh, because I think that'd be fun. Uh, <laughs> he would have to obviously utilize all his dialogue skills uh, because it's just uh, I am Groot and silence. And that's yeah. it. If, if Black Bolt had a Sorkin-esque dialogue fest, uh, pretty much the entire Marvel Universe would be destroyed. <laughs> but no seriously what i thought of is and i i would think he would have to come into a new property i don't think he's going to want to yeah. come in and pick up where somebody has already been establishing everything uh my thought was something that would be similar to daredevil uh because daredevil has both the the street level fighting stuff but also the the political intrigue the court stuff although we haven't seen a lot of that in daredevil so far i think she hulk would be a very good fit for Aaron. you start talking and you start talking and i'm like she hulk he's gonna say she hulk yeah because she hulk classically has good comedy chops uh mm. great stuff with with courtroom drama uh she is a she's got a, a sex appeal to her she is definitely an adult not like adult mature themes but i mean adult yeah. like she's someone who's established who has her own life um i think that it is a character that is rich with things that you could have possibilities to write about and and the extended cast that you could use for her would be mm -hmm. terrific uh so now, i think that's right you, in his wheelhouse would you do a She-Hulk movie or She-Hulk TV series? 
I would I would think a a ten episode Netflix series would be where Sorkin would shine because like the newsroom, it's just enough to give him the ability to say what he wants to say without going overboard. But a movie is going to I think be too limiting. Yeah. Um. But so what about the DC side of things? I mean DC. I would okay. I'm gonna go off something Beat said in here as a joke, where he said Suicide Squad two. I'm gonna go. What about like a Legion of Doom movie? So not like you know these rep scallion villains, but you get you know Lex Luthor and you know Black Manta. Oh fucking you know, a Luthor monologue written by Sorkin would be great. Uh, and he's already yeah. worked with Eisenberg, so maybe he could actually make Eisenberg's Luther palatable. Uh, I don't believe that, but I I can definitely see that that would be something that would be interesting. Here's the thing. Here's the funny thing. When you said when you when I had said this, I had um I had completely forgotten that Jesse Eisenberg had played this because I was thinking more like a Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor, which I think we would all prefer. Uh, as Lex Luthor again, not not a slam on Eisenberg. I I definitely like Eisenberg in in specific things. I just felt that not due to his own fault, yeah. But his Luther was tragically missed, miscast and miswritten and misused. Yeah. Um. But Sadly. be that as it may, if you want to see him his game get upped. Sorkin writing it would be far better than the writing that it had in Batman v Superman. Yeah. And Be- Beats pointing out another good one. I mean, I could see, I would see this as a TV show. Only one problem is it's from image comics, which is not a problem, but just more of a, he's not in talks with them. And at saga, um, you know, it'd, I think it'd be, I think it'd be cool. I also think this would be more, like a little bit more out of his wheelhouse to do. Saga. Uh, my DC, project that is directly in his wheelhouse especially if you go off of uh the studio 60 series or the sports night series doom patrol and it's just screaming for it no uh it would be blue beetle and booster gold the super buddies Uh, the super buddies thing to me would be ideal that that two main guys and then if you go with the whole justice league international have fire involved have ice involved uh kind of grow it organically a martian manhunter in that series like i know it would be comedic primarily but that's what super buddies should be uh if you get a guy gardener in there all the better i i think that there is such potential for that and that would be something that Sorkin would really do well. And if he followed the the models put forth by uh, Giffen, Dimatteis, and um, and and the people who who worked on those things before, I I think that that would just be that's sort of a dream for those characters to finally get on the screen in the first place. But to then see it happen with someone of of this caliber and style of writing, I think would be terrific. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I throw this to our to our viewers um, and listeners. What do you think? What would you want in an Aaron Sorkin Marvel or DC TV series? Um, you can let us know uh, by leaving us a voicemail eight zero five three two eight three nine six six or emailing us mail at elsners or you know message us on Twitter at elsners at galactic netcasts. 
um, at that Gregor, you know, let us know what do you, what do you, do you want to see, see him do next for a, you know, for a Marvel or DC TV or DC TV or movie project. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for the news and we will be right back. If you like what you've heard on this Galactic Network podcast, please consider helping us out financially by going to gncast.com slash support. On that page, you'll find links to our Patreon campaign where you can make a small recurring monthly pledge of as little as $1. Or click on our Amazon affiliate link, make a purchase, and we get a very small percentage from the sale. Again, go to gncast.com slash support. And thank you for supporting the Galactic Network podcast. All right, and we are back, and it is time for the Else Views. Um, this is the segment where we talk about the things that we have seen um, or read or whatever over the past week. And um, I'm going to go first because I know we both saw this and continue the dialogue of going back and forth and talking. I'm going to talk about the, the last crossover um, for um, The Flash and Supergirl um, with the... Um, that led, led led into the Kevin Smith episode of Supergirl this past week, which was awesome, and the latest episode of The Flash, which was also really good. Um, but this was called uh, Dynamic Duets, and this was the musical episode. This was the um, reunions galore throughout here because you had the Glee reunion with Grant Gustin, Melissa Melissa Benoist, and. Um, Darren Chris, who play, came in playing the Music Meister, but then this was also a Star Child Productions reunion because uh, Darren Chris and uh, Carlos Valdez were um, went to the University of Michigan, go blue, um, and were in the the theater department and did the um, the Harry Potter musical thing um, and some other you know different productions. And stuff like that and then you had pointed out on Twi- on on slack there was another reunion thing in here with grant gustin and someone on supergirl right the gentleman who plays monel this season on supergirl and grant gustin went to uh they were theater majors together in college and that was yeah. just kind of a weird little thing uh although the person who played monel did not actually sing in the episode uh, he's one of the the few people who didn't get to to express that. But I don't know. As a theater major, I don't know if that necessarily means that he sang in theater or if he just acted in theater. It may not yeah. have been his thing. It it seemed like there were a couple people that were there and were specifically left out because they weren't actually singers, but they wanted them involved in the story. And then there were other people who just didn't even make it in the story at all, um, like uh, Caitlin wasn't in the the dream sequence in any regard which was a weird thing to see skipped over people who were actually from the show getting so pushed to the side i guess because there was no villain for her to fall in love with uh but <laughs> or, or or anybody who will just tragically die caitlin has such shit luck with men that she might as well be dating oliver but be that as it may, you're saying you're saying all these things, and I'm like, he hasn't seen the latest episode. He hasn't seen the latest episode. <laughs> I ain't seen shit. I, I watched this, and I'll, I'll tell you what. Yeah. This was pitched quite a while back. I was surprised at how long it took to get to it, and it was both very delightful 
in in the fact that it it it's showing off how multi-talented these people are and it was also a glaring example of the reasons why I stopped watching these shows yeah because it seemed like from what i picked up Barry had recently broken up with Iris because he couldn't keep her safe so he's like ah no, no, i'm just like after, i guess he proposed to her and then broke up and then then it's like I'm and and it's all wishy washy about it. And then some bullshit's going on with Supergirl and Monel because she conveniently forgot that she Jimmy Olsen was like her one true love at the beginning of this season. Uh, and and it's like, but we're not able to make it work. And then this whole episode was written just to make them all work out again. And it's it's yeah. that's one of the things of like, oh, we have to get to this point to tell this one story that we really want to do. Uh, so all the rest of this shit will just get cleaned up right here so that we can get to the next factoring point that we need to. And it just seemed, uh, one, it seemed very Glee. Glee would do that all the time, where it would change people's personalities or motivations per episode. Uh, that seems to be standard with anything that uh, Ryan Murphy writes. It, it's yeah. just like, oh, well, last episode, it doesn't matter what we were doing then. What matters is right now. <laughs> which, which is, which is okay. Previously on. If you if you enjoy the show, then it it's it's okay. You you get it. And most of the stuff he does it with is his comedy. But it mm-hmm. is one of those things that I find very tiring. And and just in general, the the melodrama stuff is fine, but it it's all very pat how it comes back together. And on top of that, there wasn't a lot of depth. The, and and yeah. the whole music meister thing. He wasn't a music meister at all. He sang a song, but he mostly put them into a fucking movie. True, true. Um, so I came at this from a different thing because I'm still watching all the shows. Which is like I said, realized when you said the whole when you went on the the Caitlin Snow tirade, and I'm like, well, um, she died this past episode. Wait, what? Who said that? Oh. Um, yeah, she 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 died um on this this last episode so the following episode she dies and they remove the necklace and now she is full-on killer frost um which i might have a little bit of problems with that of seeing how it plays out the next episode or so um but yeah it did have that you know um so i'll explain a little bit of the backstory stuff um so you saw the beginning of the flash where they were you know, he's trying to prevent Savitar from killing Iris by going about the, you know, basically doing a a reverse flashpoint of instead of going back and changing something, changing stuff that you he saw from the from that will happen in the future. And so, in like he, they did like a kid Flash uh, caught this guy, and all, and one of the things that he did was he proposed to Iris because she didn't have a ring on her finger when savitar killed her so that was part of it so she broke up with or she called off the engagement with him and then like he also sort of understood because you know she was upset because she like like well do you love me or is it because you don't want you want you want to protect me and then barry's like well it's a little bit of both because i love you so i want to protect you and so I figured, hey, put a ring on it. 
and you know it might change up the future enough stuff like that um then getting here the the jimmy olsen thing with supergirl i think what ended really quick in season two um like that hasn't they haven't hit on that no it was it was almost immediately it's like first episode of season like the whole first season was she's pining away for jimmy and then they get to the kiss at the the end of the 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 finale and then the next episode the first episode of this season starts up and she's like i don't know how i feel about this jimmy olsen guy and it's like none of us know how i feel about the fucking jimmy olsen guy yeah but now he's gonna go off and be a superhero over here with win and some other fucking person and uh you just go pick up any alien tramp you meet on the side of the fucking planet i i don't i don't care hey, hey, I, i'll I, let I, you know I, he's a prince sir yeah i literally do not care monel <laughs> is one of my favorite characters from the comics uh and i i just know like mr terrific uh, they're just gonna do everything they can to fuck that up with these shows and so and, you would and, say so you would say hashtag not your monel uh, no i would say nothing i i just i got to the point at, at the winter finales where it's like hey uh we're on a break i'm like no 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 y'all broke i'm done and and it it's it's sort of liberating like anything else like giving up a show when it just frustrates you more than you enjoy it feels really good um but i was curious to see the musical episode because i love musical episodes Mm -hmm. i loved it on buffy i loved it on scrubs yeah. And, and they're all various degrees of how good they are. Certainly the singing talent of this was was very good. The the yeah. songs range from like staples of like here's songs that you've heard before to a couple originals. One of them was was co-written by Rachel Bloom from My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. That was a super friend song. Yeah. And I thought it everybody was like, wow, this is really cheesy. I'm like, yeah, but it it looks like it was supposed to be cheesy. And it's fun, and it's funny, and it it's the two of them, although it seemed really berry heavy like a lot of the stuff was about his life, and I'll be your super friend, and I'll be there in a flash, and ah, I get all the good jokes. Um, but the the uh, final song at the end, which was the, oh, teenage girls are going to download this shit on iTunes tonight, it was it was fine. It was all perfectly fine. It wasn't terrific music although it was terrific performances. And as far as the episode, it was pretty, meh. You know, I just, like, it. a lot of it was just, here's all these people who play these characters, and we're not going to do anything with them as their characters. We're throwing this whole singing thing into an alternate reality that has no bearing, really, except uh, at yeah. the end, we get the princess uh, getting kissed by the prince, and vice versa, the prince getting kissed by the princess to wake them up like they're fucking Snow White and shit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It, it was, it went seriously hokey. Yeah. And I mean, I look, because I, I guess I think I look at this with the where I could see this going in the future. Like if they do, like how they do the crossovers, you know, the big crossover events once a year, or however they're going to do them. Um, I sort of see this going, you know, because Music Meister's still out there. They, that's the one thing that they didn't do that they did in the beginning of The Flash. It was like, oh, let's kill all the fucking villains. Um, so he's out there somewhere. So I could see but him. But he's also coming. not a villain. Yeah. 
Yeah, he, I mean, he seemed more like uh, an, an imp from the fifth dimension. He seemed more like Mixablick. Yeah. Um. So I could see him, you know, coming back, and you know, for like this, for for whatever reason, and stuff in the future. But this this did remind me, strangely enough, of Glee before Melissa Benoist was even on it, because I didn't know I did not know her from Glee because she came on post the Britney episode. Um. So yeah, I didn't know any of these people from Glee. Yeah, like. Uh, Grant Gustin and Darren Chris had just came on when, like, when I le- like they were on for like a season or half a season or something like that when I left, um, and all that. But no, I I did enjoy the show. I mean, it's it reminded me of of what I loved with the um the last uh crossover that they did with just the Flash and Supergirl. Um, which it's, you know, the lightness that Barry can have, you know, cause this whole season he's been very dark Yeah, no and shit. it's like, and this one, it's like, Hey, remember he could be light and it's sort of doing that same thing with him. It's like, Hey, I can be more optimistic. Not my name's Oliver Queen and I kill people. Right. You know, and like that's, that's, that's part of what killed these shows for me was that, I mean, Arrow was already a slog and I had left Arrow in the middle of the third season and then came back to it because of all these fucking promises of the fourth season. And it's like, no, we're really just, we're still dicks. We don't, we don't give a shit what you think. <laughs> um, and fine. You know, I, I'm nobody. I'm, I'm a guy with a fucking podcast, but flash was fun. Flash was a fun show. It may have been dumb at times, and it may be that they can't seem to get past having a fucking mysterious speedster villain every fucking season, but it was a fun show, and this season was just so fucking rotten from the very beginning, like the relationship between him and Cisco breaking down and just the constant beratement of like oh not good enough and like but here's fucking wally we'll make wally into a flash somehow and fucking the third time wells it's like no we we've had enough wells i love tom cavanaugh i love him on the show but i i didn't need hr wells i i was happy enough with the guy from earth fucking two uh and and if we were gonna explore another hero speedster then i would have rather had jesse than the fucking Wally thing happening just because like Wally wanted it bad enough or some shit. Um, but all the light and happiness stuff seemed to go from flash over to Supergirl. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's the thing is I don't think it's possible to have flash be around Supergirl and to not cheer the fuck up because Melissa Benoist, she fucking exudes that she she has that kind of innocence to her she has that constant hope to her the kind of shit that you want associated with a superman or a supergirl character she has that but flash should have that too in in the comics when when the the fucking multicolored lanterns took over everything flash was a blue lantern flash symbolized hope supergirl for some reason was a red lantern but that was a different fucking supergirl at that point in time um flash seems like somebody who should be a less dry dark character 
And I'm I'm not a fan of how they've they've done this season. And so that's that's part of why I walked away. No, yeah, and that's understandable. And again, and, that's and where, there are things that I'm like so excited. I'm like super excited to see Cisco vibing and shit. I don't quite get what they're doing with vibe, but I'm like fucking cool. You know, just do shit with him because he's. I love the actor, and I love seeing yeah. vibe get some fucking do finally because I remember Justice League Detroit and all those characters suck balls, but vibe gets like this resurgence and shit. It's great, and also it's cool because. You know, this is Carlos Valdez's first, like, really only thing he's done on in Hollywood. Like, that's big. You know, like, you, you look at his IMDb page and it's The Flash, Arrow, you know, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl. You know, that's it. But I feel like they're almost felicitying him, which yeah. is Felicity came into Arrow, and uh, first of all, the first strike against her was she wasn't Black Canary. And so there's the the faction of people who are like, well, Oliver can't be with Felicity because she's not his true love, even though Laurel Lance doesn't exist in the fucking comics, you assholes. Uh, neither does Sarah Lance. It, it, the Black Canary is a completely different character. And look how well they fucked that up because they're going on their fifth try at that character coming up. Yeah. But so they took Felicity, who was a great character, who was beloved, who was fun, who was like the the ounce of light that you got once a week in the midst of the shit show of everything Oliver and everybody else. And they broke the shit out of her. They made her miserable 90% of the time. They made her harp on Oliver at times when he didn't need harping on and then put up with the shit the times that he absolutely needed someone to fucking put him in his place. No, that's why he got Diggle. Uh, so they they ruined what was one of the best parts of the show, and I feel like they're trying to do a lot of the same things with Cisco this season, and it's it's fucking dumb. It is why ruin yeah. something that is so good and that so many people are into. Other than the fact that I I think they just don't know what to do with some of these characters. So yeah, whatever. I I, I I'm glad I watched the duet. Because yeah. it was a bright shining moment in a sea of I can no longer give a fuck. Yeah. And I mean, you know, where I am sad to hear that at the same time, I mean, you know, this is why I love doing the show because there will be the differences of, you know, how, you know, with how you have and how I have things. Um, you know, I wouldn't even say it's like optimist and pessimist. It's, you know, uh, you're more pragmatic and I'm, the opposite of pragmatic um, sort of deal. We just have, we have different yeah. desires of what these shows should bring us. And, and I am constantly wrong. I am easily wrong uh, enough of the time that people should probably just take my opinion and flush it because the show's doing very well. You know, yeah. all these shows are doing very well. They're doing incredibly well for the CW uh, they're doing very well in, in general. I, I I have nothing to say that is like, uh, if you enjoy Flash, you're fucking stupid. No, not at all. I, I want to enjoy Flash. I did enjoy Flash. I just hit yeah. my limit of where I could no longer enjoy it. Now, part of it is four shows is also a lot more to keep up in. And when they start doing crossovers and stuff and you want those moments to happen... It means you're paying attention to stuff that you maybe wouldn't pay attention to if it wasn't attached to these other things. Yeah. Uh, would I watch 
Arrow if not for the relationship to the other three shows. No. Would I watch Legends of Tomorrow? Probably would have stopped in the second season pretty early on because it's it's been a mess. There's there's things that I like, but it's it's a lot of hard to follow story for for characters gonna, that I, I somewhat enjoy. Yeah, I'm going to say this. We are so off of what we were originally talking about, but... I I'm liking Legends of Tomorrow for the Doctor Who parallels that they're doing. Like you Which look is at, hilarious to me because yeah. look how how much I love Doctor Who these days. Yeah, but I mean it's like you look at um oh the episode where they were it um where Jax and um Canary were in and White Canary were in um. Uh, rip hunter's mind and i'm like this is the doctor's wife you know we're, we're getting to the episode where it quickly becomes the doctor's wife where it's um i think it was the first one that neil gaiman wrote where it was the tardis personified as a as a living being you know talking to him um and stuff like that yeah, beat beatmaster saying they overdo the uh homages and that that's exactly what i think is that it it's it's one thing to do a play on on a story of something else, but it's another thing because we always have known that the Rip Hunter character as displayed in the show and, and using Arthur Darvill to play him is a serious play off of Doctor Who as it is. So then to take one of the very popular, well-received episodes of Doctor Who and try to do your version of it, uh, first of all, you ain't no Neil fucking Gaiman. Uh, you <laughs> never will be... Second of all, uh, try something else. Try yeah, and- try something to make it that you're not just the ripoff that is also ripping off in the midst of your ripoff. Now, I, I want to point out here because we're missing something here because Beats also saying it's close to a serial ripping off. He forgot the quotes around rip. Okay. He's rip I, I was just going to do, yo, dog, I heard you like ripoff. So I put some ripoff in your ripoff so you can rip off. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was really hunting for that pun there. Yeah, no, that was good. <laughs> that was solid. Better. That that was that was definitely better than the writing on most of these shows. But, but again, my opinion, my fucking opinion. No, yeah, yeah. I am usually mistaken. I mean, hey, much like much like assholes, everyone's got an opinion. So, tell us about this this book that you've read. Yeah, so instead of watching uh, TV and bitching about it, I read a book. Yay! Uh, and, and and as I just said, my opinion means shit. I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend this book, and and you have to decide now which Corey you listen to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I I recently switched podcast apps that I I use, and one of the one of the high points of going off of Stitcher was that there's certain podcasts that just weren't available through Stitcher uh, that I was able to get through this other one. Now, I'm finding that there are some other ones that I'm having a hard time getting through this new one, and it's pissing me off. Uh, Fucking iTunes should not be the go-to for podcasts. It's bullshit. But one of the the podcasts that I was able to get back into my rotation is this one called Writing Excuses. And uh, it's it's four authors, and, and often they interview other authors, and it's it's 15 minutes of them giving writing advice. And it's really good. And I listened to it years ago. And then when I went to Stitcher, for some reason, the feed stopped and it never updated again. 
Uh, and oh, that's my you, you, writing you excuse. You got credit for that, by the way. Well, I have no idea. But that's my writing excuse, is I couldn't listen to writing excuses. So anyway, I, I finally got to listen to it again. And the first episode of me being back in it, they interview an author named uh, Linda Addison. And she is a poet. And listening to it, and they're talking about uh, the beauty of language and stuff and how to make poems happen. I, I find out that she's a horror-themed, horror, H-O-R-R-O-R, poet, uh, as opposed to, like, you know, your your average, uh, I I think that I shall never see the, red, the, blue. the tree that those fucking dogs are barking at outside. And and I'm like, oh, that perked me up a little bit. So they, they mentioned she's got a new book out which is a mix of poems and short stories. Now I don't read a ton of poetry. Uh, I wrote a lot of song lyrics when I was a teenager. That's about as close as I got to, to doing poetry myself uh, because I wanted to be a musician for a long time, but I was interested because the, the book alternates it. It starts with a poem, does a short story, another poem, another short story and goes that way throughout the whole thing. And I thought, okay, well, that that sounds intriguing. So I, I picked it up. The book is called How to Recognize a Demon Has Become Your Friend. And it's uh, $4.99 through Kindle. We'll have a, a link in our in our show notes. If you want to pick it up, it'll help out the network a little bit uh, if you use our affiliate link. And it's pretty damn good. And I, I read it in a week, uh, like I do, when I, when I finally get a... a hard on to read is I like to throw myself into this. I just restarted the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and I was a little bummed to to break away from that because it, it's exciting to read that book again after so many years and, and probably my fourth time going through them. But I, I wanted to give this a shot. Now, one of the things that I noticed halfway through the book, the book stops having a, a sort of supernatural slash horror theme, and it starts to get into sci-fi. I didn't know this. She also does some sci-fi writing, and the sci-fi stuff didn't appeal to me as much, except for one story. Uh, but most of the stuff, the the poems are short. They're about a page to a page and a half each. Uh, so while there's several of them throughout the book, it's you you get a sort of breather in between each of the short stories. And if you're not into poetry, they, they've got a good meter. They're pretty simple. You're, you're sort of in and out. And it, it might help you build an appreciation for how poems are written, how a certain style of poetry is written, because there's very many different styles of poems. And it's light in the way of poetry. So it's, it, if the poetry isn't your thing, don't let that scare you off. Because there are some good ones in this, and there's also some really good short stories. Uh, one of the short stories I, I was just about to mention was the the one sci-fi one that really did appeal to me. It's called Artificial Unintelligence, and it's about a woman that is arguing with the artificial intelligence that is put in place at her company that is in charge of human resources. And... The human resources artificial intelligence has determined that because her last name is spelled differently than how their records have it, meaning they've added an E and she doesn't have any in her name, that she must be an imposter that is stealing this person's identity. And so it's just an argument back and forth between her, her and this AI through emails. And she has to go and get on her neighbor's email because it auto blocks her at some point, And it sends police to her house to, to 
because they assume that she must have kidnapped the real person. And it's just such a great thing to me because I work in IT. I work very closely with HR. I see how things like the ADP systems are in place and stuff. And it's funny because we've recognized this here, how Google has no contact, no human contact for when you have a problem. So it's just go through the automated shit over and over again and hope something happens that it gets back to you and fixes things. That's where we're going. And this story really reflected that well for me. So I cracked up through this one. Yeah. Um, the the other stories, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but the, the there were two short stories that actually go together. Uh, one mm-hmm. of them is called Power. It's pretty early in the book. And the other one is called Miles to Go. And it's Miles with a Z. I'm not exactly sure on that. But the first story is very classic gothic horror feel. It's about uh, a couple young girls, Angelique and Brenda, who are staying with their grandmother. They discover, Angelique discovers while staying with the family that she has magical abilities uh, that Brenda and her grandmother already know more about. Um, So it's kind of teaching her on that. It's it's a ghost story with some possession stuff and an exorcism. And it's pretty classic in that regard. And it's it's good. It's a good, solid story. And I was like, wow, these are interesting characters. I would like to see more of this. By the time I got to about the last third of the book, we get to this other story called Miles to Go, which is about these characters. But now they're adults. And in the shift from the first story to the later story, it goes from being classic horror to horror with a science fiction twist. There is an integration of magic with science that is being explored in this. There are things like an artificial intelligence that is in a music instrument that uh, Angelique uses uh, in her her daily life as a musician. But Brenda can fine-tune the machine. So they have a relationship that's still kind of built on interaction with each other and interaction with magic but it's magic mixed with science. And that one becomes more of a uh, kind of a kidnapping type of story, but it still deals with magic for the most part. But there are things like a laser knife and, and other things that are just sort of mixed in that changes the feel of the world, but you're already kind of pre-involved from knowing these characters from the first short story. And that was very interesting to me because a, a series that I'm, been trying to work on uh, and I'm hoping to get back into is a series of stories about a a young character but I want to go through different points in his life and and like I want to kind of go back and forth because a lot of the stories deal with memory and and the activity of memory and how we remember things and stuff and I find it interesting that this jumps in such a huge way to this other point with these characters but i'd like to read more of these characters i'd like to see more of of their their lives growing up together or their lives individually and dealing with the magic stuff and again the magic was more intriguing to me the supernatural stuff was more intriguing to me but i wasn't necessarily put off by the science fiction elements as they were introduced in this other story it's just would reading more of these characters in the middle portions of their lives deal with the transition of of the world from the, the simple sort of semi-gothic uh, New Orleans version to what is the later version where there are artificial intelligent things uh, involved in it. 
overall, the book is is pretty good. I, I think maybe 60 to 70% of the stories I really enjoyed. That includes the poems. Uh, and the other 30%, especially the more science fiction stuff, wasn't quite what I was into. Uh, but I, I definitely found that the overall the book is worth it to me. Uh, she's a great writer. She is a four times Bram Stoker award winner uh, for her different collections. Uh, she's she's certainly well known. Uh, it was just my first time ever hearing of her. And I just decided to give the book a shot. And so it's called How to Recognize a Demon Has Become Your Friend. The first poem and the last poem in the books actually use that title uh, for them. Uh, so it's it's kind of like the the poems at the beginning, and then she does maybe an extension of it or a rewriting of it at the end. So they're different, but they do kind of tie together. Uh, and it's by Linda Addison, and it's yeah, it's a solid recommendation, I think. Nice. Um, well, that is going to do it for the the else views. We will be right back. Hauntings. Sky sounds, parallel universes, monster sightings, the New World Order, ghost ships, urban legends, mysterious radio broadcasts, and secret government facilities are just a few things we've talked about on Weird World Weekly. Listen to find out what's next. Go to gncasts.com slash weird to listen, find out more, and subscribe to the podcast that discusses the paranormal, mythological, conspiratorial, unexplained, or anything else we think is a little strange and out of the ordinary. Also, Matt's continuing search for turkey recipes. It's all on Weird World Weekly, part of the Galactic Netcast network of shows, also available wherever you listen to podcasts. And we are back, and it is time for the Else Words. This is our big main topic for the show. And, excuse me, we are keeping it in the marvel universe here and we are going to be talking about the sony thing happenings with their uh the spider-man property um because they are working on expanding the spider-man universe um with their deal um the first bit is that there is well let, work- let's back up for a second so what they're working on at least initially is not expanding the Spider-Man universe, but creating a Sony Marvel universe that, while relates to a bunch of Spider-Man secondary and tertiary characters, is not, initially at least, involved with Spider-Man. And that's where it gets weird. Yes. Um. He So, this is... Like Corey said, this is the weird part. The first bit is that there are, um, there is a working on a Silver Sable Black Cat movie, um, which is being written by uh, Chris Yost, who worked on Thor Ragnarok and did some comics for Marvel. I can't remember what ones he did, though. Well, Chris Yost usually teamed up with Craig Kyle, started out, uh, I think their, his Marvel relationship started out doing stuff for the cartoons. And on the uh, Wolverine and the X-Men cartoon, Chris and Craig created the X-23 uh, Laura character. For, um, who, yeah, his work on X-Men Evolution. Yes. 
that's right. It is X Men Revolution, uh, or uh, so he he created the character that is now a big part of the Logan movie, and uh, is actually Wolverine in the comics. And I think wrote the introduction or co-wrote the introduction of the character into the mainstream Marvel universe uh, after Joe Quesada had done some writing of her in uh, NYX, uh, which was New York <laughs> X-Men, which is a weird series. Uh, but they, they got to bring her in and they started writing more X-Men comics at the same time as doing stuff like the Avengers cartoon series and a couple other things. Uh, so, Chris and, and Craig have quite a bit of pe- pedigree with the uh, with the character with Marvel Universe and stuff, but mostly in X Men. He did write Volume Two of the Scarlet Spider, um, but that's really, I think, as far as comics connections, that's where it stops. Yeah, yeah, that's because I'm looking at his on his Wikipedia at his thing. Um, there was that um, he did Fear. Uh, Fear itself, Spider Man number one, th- one through three, um, AVX, uh, AVX number three. He was a writer of the Black Widow versus Magic story. Um, he wrote A plus X uh, number seven, which he was a writer of the Thor Iceman story. Um, but yeah, so I, I, because I had no, I had remembered his, seeing his name in the comics, couldn't remember what it was for exactly. Um, but this is, you know, this is going to be a good fit for him working with this. Um, he's building on a script that was written by uh, Lisa Joy, the co-creator of HBO's Westworld. Um, but yeah, so this is the first part that's that's really interesting. It and the whole relationship seems weird because where it seems like S- Spider-Man gets to cross. Um, you know, go into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all these other characters. And from one of the articles that we have here, um, there are 900 Marvel characters that they have to pull from here. Um, only one of them gets to go, well, two, well, well, three, if you count, you know, Aunt May and, um, Uncle Ben. Oh, more. I mean, it, from what we've seen from the trailer of Spider-Man this week, we'll we'll talk a little it. bit about some of the characters. Oh man, uh, oof. I'm going Jeff Kanata on this one, dude. Well, yeah, you're gonna have to plug yours when I talk about it. Anyways, uh, so one thing, not yet. Shh. Put your headphones on, um, <laughs> dumbass. So <laughs> one thing that we should say is, so the the Silver Sable character, uh, which a lot of people probably aren't familiar with because I haven't seen her have a series in a long time. But she's a character that was created by uh, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends in 1985. She's a mercenary who runs a company that hunts war criminals. Uh, there was a series for a while of Silver Sable, and I think that there were a few Spider-Man villains that were reformed that were a part of her team. And then Black Cat, uh, people might be more familiar with, uh, is Felicia Hardy. She's uh, basically a cat burglar who had had a relationship with peter parker for a long time and it's kind of like marvel's version of catwoman uh in a lot of the ways of like her interactions with spider-man and she's like romantically charged of seeing him and didn't know his secret identity for most of the time that that was going on and she is the the criminal in the night who steals stuff like catwoman 
but she she's certainly grown as a character over the years and uh it is honestly one of my favorite spider-man characters so the mixing of these two characters i've not ever seen them doing too much together in the comics and certainly not outside of the context of having peter parker as a through point but this as of right now this movie has no ties to spider-man but no, may have ties to the next movie that they're talking about developing yeah it's weird because it says um the spin-offs are not off this is from the hollywood reporter article the spin-offs are not our shoots from the upcoming spider-man homecoming but rather project spun <laughs> Uh, from the overall franchise and based on Sony's Marvel's Spider-Man universe. So, it, yeah, it sounds really weird when you look at it. Um, but, I mean, I'm honestly with these with these and the um, other story that um, Venom's going to be an R-rated um, movie and in its own, you know, as starts... It's gonna be like I think it's like gonna be its own thing as well. I mean, as long as they're doing good stories, I don't care. Yeah, and I mean, and first, uh, something to say is how brave they are for you know trying to get a a superhero film out that has not only a female lead but two female leads. Mm-hmm. as a part of it now we don't know if it's just silver sable and black cat it's it's something that almost seems primed to be like a suicide squad uh if we've got multiple characters uh certainly silver sable has her team or if black cat is supposed to be either on the team or someone that they're fighting against i don't know it's hard to say but in a world where we're still we're just about to get a wonder woman film and we are going to eventually get a Captain Marvel film, the the Carol Danvers version of the character. But we still haven't gotten an announcement on a Black Widow film, which Silver Sable seems to hold a lot of the same traits that you would expect from a Black Widow movie. Yeah. It, it, it's funny that it's been such a struggle to have these films come out with female lead characters for so long. and. Sony is at least saying, "Oh yeah, we can we can do that." No, yeah, definitely. Um, so let's go to the other side here with this, and that's the um, with the Venom story. Um, so right now, I don't think a lot is known about it. Um, but it's they're saying it's going to be rated R, which makes sense, and. So they're going to be going with the Eddie Brock thing here, or with Eddie Brock's Venom, obviously. But I, I'm here's the thing: I'm not the biggest fan of the Eddie Brock Venom. I I like the Flash Thompson version. You know, I like well the, the Flash Thompson have. version is is more heroic. You yeah. know, it's a redemption story. But if you don't have a Flash Thompson needing to be redeemed. No, yeah. Then it doesn't work, and 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 people are as as much as we are beholden to continuity. People are going to complain that well, but Venom started out with with Eddie Brock. Venom started out as a bad guy, yeah. and then eventually goes to these other things. But if Flash Thompson is being used in 
the Peter Parker Spider-Man films and there's not a crossover between these films planned at this point, then it doesn't make sense to try to use Flash Thompson again Yeah. in this. But the whole reason for being of, of Venom and for the animosity that Eddie Brock has, it's all tied to Peter Parker. Yeah, and this is you're you're hitting on a big point here. You're hitting on something that it that scares me with this because with both of these stories, they are not directly tied into the stuff. Now they could be in the future, but it's a little worrying if they've already got cast, you know, for the Venom movie for instance, if they already have Eddie Brock cast in Spider-Man, you know, in Spider-Man Homecoming, then how are they going to tackle this one? Is this one going to be based more on the older stuff? You know, how is it? I'm pretty sure that Eddie Brock's not in Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, and, and and because this is all coming from Sony as a studio, and mm. Sony is, of course, involved in the Spider-Man film too, I'm sure that they were careful about what things they were going to leave available to themselves that were going to go into Homecoming. And I'm sure there was also a giant fucking contract of, what was going to be allowed in the Spider-Man movie and what Marvel was going to have access to and the back and forth of that. And they're like, yeah, we'll let you use these things and you'll let us use those things, but you're not getting all of it and we're not getting all of it. So we don't want Venom fighting Captain America before we've had a chance to play with Venom at the very least. We don't want, I don't know why, uh, Silver Sable or Black Cat in in the marvel co-produced movies um maybe they just feel like there's too many people running around the street and all their periods are going to sync up i all i know (laughs) is that it's still very strange because these characters have all come from their association with peter parker and spider-man i mean it's they're calling it the marvel spider-man universe at sony without an inclusion of spider-man which would so one of the things is that the article kind of goes on is that there may be a falling out of the mcu and spider-man uh after the homecoming sequel after the spider-man homecoming sequel the the contract is that the back and forth of using this version of spider-man started out in civil war is going to be in Spider-Man Homecoming. He's going to appear in the uh, Avengers Infinity movies, uh, or at least one of them, but probably both. And then there's going to be a sequel to Homecoming. And that probably after that, there will no longer be a Marvel conjunction film for the Spider-Man stuff. So does that mean then that the Tom Tom Holland Spider-Man character gets to be involved in the following Sony Spider-Man universe stuff. This does his Spider-Man suddenly show up and get to have a crossover with Venom and get to have a crossover with Black Cat and Silver Sable. See with Silver Sable and Black Cat, those characters exist outside of him before they meet him. Yeah. So it makes sense. With Venom, it doesn't. Venom is just a dark, horrific version of Spider-Man if done like the comics and it it would be weird to explain how this venom exists 
without ties to Peter Parker and then have him meet up with Peter Parker and go like, hey, you seem really familiar to me in a way. And I don't know exactly why. I see. I honestly feel. I'm I'm really torn on this because at the on the one hand. I, you know. I want this the Marvel stuff or Marvel to have all their their toys back. You know, I want I want to see them have the rights to the Spider-Man universe. I want them to have the rights to the Fantastic Four, to all you know everything here, so that they can make great stories, you know, great complete stories and stuff like that. But this doesn't make sense because for for one thing, it, I would be a little worried that we would now have a fourth uh, recasting of Spider-Man. You know, like we, we go from Tobey Maguire to uh, Andrew Garfield to Tom Holland to some other, you know, younger kid. And, you know, to... No, I think they're planning... Her. I think the plan is once they are contractually finished with Marvel, that they'll bring Tom Holland into the fold with the other stuff um it it will remain this spider-man if this spider-man works it will remain him in these other movies but but see here's here's the thing you just said there and it, it makes me wonder if it works why would sony want to go away from marvel because this, at this if, point in time they have to split things with marvel and that's never a long-term goal unless this thing makes two billion dollars yeah and they each get a billion overall they're going to be like yeah but we could be making all that bank and And, on top of that it's usually complicated to work with two studios that's why hulk keeps not happening no yeah and i see my argument with that would be look at their history look at the stuff that they had done in you know beforehand you know where you got uh, the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man. You know did this amount this much amount of money. I'm rough guessing here. And then Spider-Man two, and then Spider-Man three, and then Amazing Spider-Man, and then Amazing Spider-Man two, and then Spider-Man appearing in Captain America: Civil War did gangbusters. And so it's like where I get you know yeah it's the whole you got split between people, but at the same time it's sort of like it, it's it doesn't make sense to me because if you hadn't been doing good, if you hadn't been making good things by yourself and then you get people or you get help with it, why do you then go, Oh no, no, we we got it from here. And then go back to making the shit that you were making before. Well, keep in mind the, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man made 820 million uh, years before anybody else was doing superhero films other than, uh, Fox with Blade and X Men. Uh, the yeah. Spider Man Two did seven hundred eighty three million. These were not unsuccessful films. Uh, they were they were doing just fine with them until they went with a different direction after Spider Man Three, which made God damn it eight hundred ninety million uh, more than the first two. So wow. it, it's and the Amazing Spider Man films made one point. 7 billion between the two of them. Yeah. So they they weren't not succeeding, they were just critically not hitting the levels that they wanted them to. There was a lot of complications 
and they wanted to reinvent and they saw what Marvel was doing and they said, especially when Sony was going through some pretty heinous shit behind the scenes, that's where a lot of this came from is is the person who was in charge of Spider-Man at Sony stepping down and she's like, well, then I'm going to open up a, a relationship with Marvel and see if we can't make this work somehow. It, it was a lot of things that led to this getting to where we are with Marvel and, and Sony working together and mm-hmm. excellent. It turned out great for Marvel having Spider-Man in Civil War. It looks like from the previews, uh, and this is not going to be something that'll set you off. Having Tony Stark involved in Spider-Man Homecoming is adding some great interaction and flavor and is going to entice people to see this movie because in their minds, it's just going to be another Marvel movie. Most people aren't going to care of who the studio is. They just care that, oh, fucking A, Spider-Man and Iron Man in the same goddamn film together. That's great because I love the Iron Man movies and I love the Avengers movies and I love Spider-Man in that last Avengers movie, even though it was Captain America. So I, of course, am going to go see this just like I'm going to go see Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when it comes out because I'm sold. Okay, okay, but then we go with them. We continue with them, and you know, you get you know Spider-Man: Homecoming two, or you know Spider-Man: The Winter's Ball, or whatever they want to call, you know, the sequel to the movie, and you know it features you know Ant-Man or you know another Marvel Marvel you know cinematic universe hero coming in there, Cap, and then yeah, Cap, resign and the- Chris Evans and get Cap involved in this. Yeah, and then done. That's the end of the contractually obligated uh, playing together with their toys, and they go not over here. discounting the fact that Spider Man, this Spider Man, is already going to be in the Avengers movies. But isn't so that's, isn't that's four the, more films, or that's four films still to go that none of it mm-hmm. should have been released? That but isn't Spider Man the Spider Man sequel after the fourth Avengers? We don't know. Because if it's because I'm going by if it's after the the after Infinity War after the other Avengers movie, then we get you know this Homecoming sequel, and then it's all Sony. But well, we're we, probably already in Marvel Phase Five to Six at that point. Yeah, and and here's but here's the thing is is you're thinking well then they're going to shoot themselves on the foot by no longer involving Marvel. Well, no, I, I'm going what what I was going with that was it's it you get to that point where. You know, you get to the point where it goes back to Sony and people are going and they're expecting, you know, okay, what's what, what's Spider-Man going to get himself into? Who is he going to you know interact with? And we don't see any anyone who's in this in this universe that we're, you know, we should be expecting to see. And wouldn't that then turn off, turn people off to it? Well, it might unless they're having success with the other spidey heroes and villains in the Sony universe that they've been establishing on the side, like Silver Sable, Black Cat, Venom, and so on. And at some point, you want the heroes to be able to stand on their own too. Like the first Iron Man was just Iron Man. The second Iron Man involved Black Widow. The third Iron Man, other than, than War Machine, who was an Iron Man character, yeah, the third Iron Man went back to just being about Iron Man. I would argue that that worked better for me in in a lot of ways than Civil War did, because Civil War was a movie that was not hugely about Cap. I mean, he was at the center of it, 
But it was, a lot of people have said, it was an Avengers movie called Captain America. Uh, and it made sense in the way that they were progressing with the characters. It made sense that that was a story that needed to come next. Did it necessarily make sense that it was a Captain America movie then? I'm not sure. Uh, other than the fact that Civil War and the comics really dealt with Cap and Iron Man, and and it could have been Avengers Civil War, and it would have made as much or more sense. Yeah. But Thor Ragnarok is going to, we know, involve the Hulk, but introduce a lot of other characters, and it's seemingly going to focus more on Thor than yeah. all the other Avengers. I think that that realistically is what we need to see is can Spider-Man after five appearances survive on his own in his own films? I would expect that he could if he's if mm -hmm. he's proven popular in those other movies. I think, again, people most people won't think twice about it. They won't say, oh, but now he's not in the Avengers anymore and none of the Avengers can show up. They'll just go, hey, I've been digging the shit out of these Spider-Man movies. I can't wait to see number three or I fucking a he's gonna finally fight venom and it's not gonna be Topher grace looking like a little bitch uh i can't wait to watch that um <laughs> hopefully it, and again not 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 disliking Topher grace i like Topher grace fine and Topher grace shit Topher grace is no fucking venom um yeah. and spider-man don't do no dance scenes i i just think that yeah it would be wonderful if either these things go straight over to marvel and Marvel just gets to control their own fucking universe because they have done little wrong. They they have definitely had some things that have been less successful and certainly things that I don't enjoy as much if you go across the board of the television stuff and everything too. But overall, their films have been hugely successful and it seems like they've figured out how to make these things work. And it seems like their input to Spider-Man makes it look at least like this version is going to do very well. Yeah. Uh, because it's hitting the right notes. It feels like Spider-Man. It's not all happening at night. Uh, he's out in the fucking daytime. The introduction of Michael Keaton as the Vulture. And there are some other surprises that I won't mention to you here because uh, you're canadying it. Um, yeah, so far you have... Like, like that's where I would end because that's all that I know yeah, is and all I'm, that stuff. And then Spider-Man... to be fair to you. Yeah, and then Spider-Man wears a jacket over like I see I see all the poster or the picture with him wearing the like the windbreaker or whatever it is over his uniform or over and his uh, in front of Avengers Tower. Yeah, yeah, and but that's yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not going to try to wreck shit for you. We we say at the beginning of the show we'll spoil stuff, but we're not here to harsh anybody's time. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's 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 voluntary if you continue to listen to the point where we start spoiling things that you might not be ready to be spoiled yet. Uh, yeah, Gregor's Gregor's fucking stuck here. He's got to listen to me. Uh, yeah. he's, and, he's he's captive audience. And and here's the thing. And this is the this is where it is the bad part. And this is why, uh, in my opinion, the big reason why the blog that I did for uh, Galactic Netcasts um, with the poll list didn't last as long as it did. You know, part of it was yeah, I had work, but it was also the daily you know, trying to find a news story. And it's like, here's this picture from Suicide Squad. I burned myself out on that, on that stuff. So now my philosophy on anything and anything movie related is until the first, like, like I will watch trailers until it's like, okay, I'm done. I don't need to see any more. 
with Spider-Man, I'm a lifelong Spider-Man fan. He was the first, he was my first superhero that I watched. Um, you know, he was gentle. He was kind of, sorry, sorry, getting off track. <laughs> um, You're talking about a kid, by the way. You're talking about a yeah, child. Yeah. Well, I was a child too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but actually, no, because it was the car it was the cartoon from the nineties and I'm he just was, teasing, man. Don't 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 yeah. examine the joke. No, no, yeah, yeah. But he's um but no, so it's like I don't need to see any I don't need to see any of it. Okay, pictures are cool. Yeah. Oh hey, look at the costume. That's pretty sweet. As I'm going through my feet my article, but I'm probably not gonna watch any trailers until after I go see Spider Man Homecoming. I will say the biggest complaint about the trailer seems to be that it gives away too much of the story. Yeah. Uh, so you are definitely doing yourself a favor by not watching it if you want to be surprised. Yes. Uh, that said, I don't think it's giving away so much of the story that I'm going to like not get to enjoy the fucking movie. And there's still plenty of things that aren't touched on in the trailer. There's a lot of characters that don't get any focus at all. So, And it looks great. It looks absolutely yeah. great. But going off of that, yeah, it 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 sucks to think that we'll have Spider-Man and Marvel crossover for a few features and then that relationship will likely end but if they give me some good fucking spider-man movies i'll probably be okay and and we'll have an opportunity for five movies to have spider-man and the marvel universe crossover but does it get to a point where maybe people are tired of tony stark being the go-to talky money supplier guy that shows up for things can spider-man just go be spider-man because he wasn't involved under tony in the origins of the character he, there was many years where spider-man was shunned by the rest of the superhero community and wasn't an avenger and, and didn't kick it with the x-men and when he hung out with the fantastic four he had a bag over his head it it so it's realistically spider-man started out as an individual that now we we are spoiled by the teams um, and spoiled by the amount of years that he's been in the Avengers and other things. Uh, but going back to basics could be a good thing for him. Yeah. Um, but no, yes, yeah, so I, th- I think that's honestly where I'm going to end it because the, I mean, there's nothing else I can add with that. Um, but yeah, so you guys, like, like I said before with the questions, um, what do you want to see out of a Venom, Silver Sable, um black cat movies um you know mail send us mail mail at elsers.com you can leave us a voicemail at, at 805 uh, 805-328-3966 there it is and you can find all of our subscription links at jancast.com slash subscribe you can follow the or you can follow us on facebook um facebook.com slash galactic netcasts um that's also you know at, at galactic netcasts is the is the Twitter at Elsner's is the show. Um, go to, you know, follow the producers on Twitter, Beatmasters at Beatmaster80, Evans at Mr. Underscore Fusion. You can find me on Twitter and many social media websites at, at that Gregor or on Instagram at that dot Gregor. Um, and Corey, where can people find you? Well, uh, I dropped social media like it was a CW superhero show. So what you can do is uh, every once in a while, I'm trying. uh, I post comics at DennisComics.com, the works of Levi Krauss and friends. Some of them were were written by me. Uh, A lot of them were not. And that's okay. 
uh, they're probably the better for it. And just in general, uh, I like his stuff. So that's why I post it every day or every week. And the final thing to be said is this has been a Don't Tell Glenn production. We will see you guys next week. Or else. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.